Well, good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn over to Ruth chapter 2. Um, we're going to be looking at this passage. Do you, do you know the word serendipity? Um, a pleasant surprise. When I was turning 50, I don't know how she did it, but my wife pulled off a surprise birthday party for me, and I never figured it out. When I walked in the door, I was dumbfounded, totally shocked. And it was a serendipitous moment for me. We'll probably have those at Christmas time when certain people open certain gifts, you know, or when the young man talks to the young woman and opens up that ring and she sees it. It's a serendipitous moment. We've all had them. When you come to Ruth chapter 2, Naomi is finally going to have a serendipitous experience. She's going to see kindness like she's never seen before. It's a wonderful story. If you remember, when Ruth, is, when Ruth and Naomi, Naomi and Ruth are coming back from Moab, Naomi is at the end of herself, isn't she? And, and she says, don't even call me Naomi anymore, which means sweet or sweetie. Call me bitter, Mara. Just That's my name. And that's how chapter 1 ends. And this woman has very little hope. She's not even thinking of family. That's, that's, that's really forgotten for her. She just wants food. She just wants to be able to exist, survive. And that's what happens as we open up in chapter 2. Let me just go back to the last verse of chapter 1, set the scene, and read the first verse of chapter 2. Because here's what happens. Well, let me, let me read verse 22 first in chapter 1. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. It's the perfect time to come back. It's harvest season. And the inspired storyteller inserts a verse in verse 1 of chapter 2. That's very telling. The text says, Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. See, he's the first time that's introduced into the text. And the writer, even before he's going to tell you anything about Boaz, it's almost like he's saying, I can't wait. There's this guy. He's a good guy. He's worthy. He's rich. He's Boaz. And he is related to Limelech, Naomi's dead husband. Okay, back to the story. But he can't wait. He's got to tell you before he even jumps into the story itself. In the overview of the story, there's basically three scenes. The first scene is in verse 2, and it takes place between Ruth and Naomi. The second scene is going to take place out in the fields of Boaz, and the third scene is going to take place back between Ruth and Naomi again. And what I want you to watch for is several things. One of the things people often talk about that do a lot of study into narratives and stories is they, they talk about the law of final stress. And all that means is this. Look at how the story begins and contrast it with how the story ends. And this particular story, you look at where is Naomi and Ruth at the beginning, where are, they at, where are they at the end, and it's totally different. And the question is why? What happens in between? Well, let's watch and see. 
First scene, verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Don't run by that too quickly. What would it be like? What's it like being a young woman in antiquity when you're kind of on your own? And you place her in a field where there's all kinds of young men. In the time of the judges when everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Do you see, that's quite a setup that this young lady is placing herself in. But frankly, she's desperate. They need something, don't they? And she, in des- almost in desperation, but in faith and courage, says to Naomi, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to glean. We need food. And I'll, do- I'll go around until I find a field where people treat me correctly. It's not just that she's a young woman. She's a foreigner. I mean, like, how far off can you? Nobody knows her. And she's going to be gleaning in this land. And she just says, it's a courageous act by this young lady. She says, I'm going to go out. I'm going to do it. And Naomi's response is almost one of, um, okay, go, my daughter. Desperation, if you will. So Ruth goes out to find a field where she can glean. Uh, It won't be much grain, but enough that maybe they can survive that week, possibly. That's that's all she's looking for. She's not looking for anything else, not expecting anything else. Hoping at least and only for that as she goes out. Now notice what the inspired storyteller tells us. This is is so important. Don't miss any of it because it's it's all really significant. Look at verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Look at the next few words. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. I mean, literally in the Hebrew it says, she chanced upon the chance. I mean, now, is the, is the inspired storyteller saying, Matter of fact, one of the translations, actually, one of the Jewish translations actually translates this. She struck upon the luck of ending up in Boaz's field. And and it's almost the way the Hebrew reads. Does, Does that mean the writer is saying it was all lucky? No. By saying it the way he said it, it's so obvious to all of us, this could never have been a coincidence. This was the gracious providential working of God. She's going out in, in fear. She finds a field and she goes, I think I'll try this one. And she doesn't realize it, but it's Boaz's. And she doesn't even know Boaz. Doesn't know any of those things. But watch, more happens than just that. Verse 4. And behold, That term, behold, is used just two times in the book of Ruth. And both times it's written in such a way to get your attention and my attention as readers to to say, hey, I mean, I don't know how else to say this. You know, a kid might say something like this. Hey, yo, look at this. Cool. That's the point. So she's in the field. And yo, whoa, 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 watch. Okay? 
And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem just then. I mean, like, why didn't he come sooner? Why didn't he wait till the next day? No, no, no. Because God is at work here, folks. Behold, Boaz came from the field, from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. So we get this sense, this is, this is a good guy, has a relationship with God. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? I mean, he's aware of who's in his field. Who's, who's that over, over there? And the servant that was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabitess woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said to us, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came. She has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now I have to tell you something. I don't want to get technical here with you, but I think it's important. That last expression in verse 7, you see, me, the, the, uh, I have the ESV here. The ESV says, except for a short rest. It is the hardest portion in the book of Ruth to translate and to understand. You know what? It's, this is what it literally says. If I was, you know, if this was a Hebrew class and I said, I want you to give me a wooden literal, literal translation, it would be this. This, and the, the word this is in the masculine, so we might say, this man, her dwelling, the house a little. That's it. This man, her dwelling, the house a little. Now, you tell me what in the world that means. And so translators said, well, maybe it means something like he's taking a rest for a little bit. Could be. But one of the commentators, and I think he's right on this one, has argued from the context to follow that we might translate it like this. Remember, one of her fears is going into a reaper's field where she might be mistreated by the men? At least verbally, and perhaps physically. You could translate it like this. When Boaz is saying, so tell me about her, and he gets to the very end and he says, oh, by the way, um, there was this fella. Um, she's gone home for a bit. Which would mean something like this. Boaz She's ready to leave. There was one of the guys that kind of did something inappropriate. If that's the case, look at the response that comes in verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to the young women. And I would want to argue that on the balance of the evidence, the way you can see the providential working of God is not just that she ended up in his field, but that he came at just the right time. Behold! Before she left the field and wanted to come back. Now who's behind all that, folks? It's God. It's God who sees the entire process and Ruth goes, doesn't know where she's going, but God does. Boaz just happens to come at just the right time when she's ready and talks to her. It's all God. 
And should that surprise us? So notice their encounter, what he says and what she says in response. It's, it's a wonderful text. So Boaz says, look, don't leave. Stay close to my women. What would happen in antiquity typically is the men would come by, they would grab the, 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 the barley and the wheat and so forth, and they'd take these stalks and they'd put them together um, into almost like a mushroom form, you know, and they would leave them there. And then the women would come by and they would do some things after the fact. And Boaz is just saying, look, I want you to come through the second round with the women. It's probably a better way to do it. So that seems to be what's going on here. So, so he's, that's why he says what he says in verse 8. Look at verse 9. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? In other words, Naomi, I'm sorry, Ruth, I told my guys not to touch you physically at all. You'll be protected because it's coming directly from me. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said, why have I found favor in your eyes? That, that you should take notice of me. I, I, I'm just a foreigner. But Boaz answered her. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Folks, this is packed. Boaz, R Ruth can't quite figure it out. She says, like, what are you doing? I mean, she's bowing down. I mean, she's on the ground. And Boaz says, I know the commitment you've made. You don't know us. You don't know the Israel faith. You don't know anything. And you have made a commitment here. And I want you to know something, Ruth. I want you to know something about my God. When people come under his wing, he protects them. And all Boaz is at that particular moment is he's an expression of the gracious kindness of God, isn't he? He's God's conduit at that point. And he's telling her, look, you are safe under the wings of God. God is a God that blesses and protects and watches over those that come into relationship with him. You are safe with him. And Ruth is taken back. And she says, look, in antiquity there were foreigners and then there were basic slaves and then there were servants. And she's saying, man, I'm down here and at best I'm here. I'm not even like one of your normal servants. I'm like way down here. And he says, but you are blessed. And at the end of that moment, all Ruth is thinking is this, folks. Great. I won't get raped or beat up or maligned. I'll be able to get some grain. We'll be able to exist. That's all she's thinking at this point. And she's thankful for that, isn't she? But what she doesn't realize is that everything's going to get upped and ante. Let me mention something to you real quick. 
If we had time, we'd go back and read in the book of Leviticus. There was a whole system set up. We, we, you know, we're a little bit, it's not, it's not American at all, but it's very Jewish. You had families, and you had clans, and you had tribes. If we were all part of the same clan, and we were all related, we were all kind of, you're all kind of finkbinders at some level, distantly related. Okay, Scary thought, isn't it? Very scary. But suppose, one of you went away, and your land had gone, you know, somebody had sold it and bought it off. You came back in. We as the clan are responsible for you to some level. Now, we don't have to give you everything. But we've got to let you at least exist. And the guy that's closest to you might even turn around and buy that land back for you because you're the clo- he's the closest kinsman redeemer to you. That's what would happen. But at least this, because you're part of the clan, I'm going to at least let you glean in my field and make sure you don't get hurt in the process. But that's all he had to do. He was required to do nothing beyond that, folks. But watch how everything gets ratcheted up in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, a woman who at best is a foreigner and a slave and as distant as you can get from this notable man. Come here. Eat some bread and, and, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, let her glean even among the sheaves and don't reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her to leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. In other words, you give her far more than she can imagine. When you got those bundles together, take a couple of those bundles, take some of those stalks out and throw them right on the ground. She's coming up behind you and she gets them and don't say a word. Not a word. Because that's exactly what I want her to do. You give her plenty. Did he have to do that? He didn't have to do that at all. He had met his requirements. He'd already gone over the top. And he was saying, man, I want all the favor for this woman. He brings her in. Can you imagine what these guys are thinking? I wonder if my translation is right there on verse 7. I wonder if the young man who had made a pass at her or whatever he had done, if he was sitting there too, he must have been embarrassed out of his, out of his mind. You know? So she's eating with them and he's doing all these things. He goes home and she says, don't anybody touch her and nobody rebuke her for what she gets. Man, he, if he's there, he's blushing at that point, I'm assuming. But text doesn't tell us. Whatever. But do you see what God's doing? God has gone way overboard with this woman through Boaz. Look at verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, barley in wheat season in antiquity would go about seven or eight weeks. It's about two months roughly. And so she's beaten out, and she gets a whole ephah of, of barley. Now, that doesn't mean much of anything to us. We're saying, like, like, what's that all about? It's somewhere between 30 and 50 pounds of barley. In antiquity, it was about one-tenth of what you would put on a donkey. A donkey could only handle so much. So this woman's carrying back 
30 to 50 pounds, probably enough to feed both of them for one week. And if you kind of do the math, and she's going to stay with them through the whole harvest season in that seven, eight-week period of time, she would have gotten enough barley seed to feed both of them for an entire year. Can you imagine? She was hoping for just enough to make it, knowing that she would probably have all kinds of problems from the young men because she was scared. That's why she says to Boaz, I'm so glad you said what you said because it's really comforted me. I was scared. <laughs> and she's going to go home safe as you can imagine with 30 to 50 pounds of grain. Now, who can pull that off but God? Notice what happens when she gets home. She took it up in verse 18, went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied from the lunch. And her mother-in-law said to her, where in the world did you glean today? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. I don't know who it is, but wow, God bless him. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked. And what's kind of funny is she waits at the very end of the sentence until she tells him. The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Whose kindness? Some people think it's the Lord's, and some people think it's Boaz's. I think it's the Lord's through Boaz. And Naomi, who at the very beginning of the book was saying, just call me bitter. I have nothing. My life is a waste. It's all over. I'm finished is now saying, God is good. God is, God is good to me. Interesting. And then goes on to say this. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours. He's one of our Different translations, redeemers, family guardian, depending upon what kind of text you're looking at. What it means is he's, the, he's part of the clan, he's close to us, and he's called to that role. In the Hebrew, it's the word goel. He's that redeemer who is to protect and watch over and provide for somebody who's close to them. Naomi, said, Naomi didn't set any of this up. At the very beginning of the story, Ruth says, I'm going to go. She wasn't thinking, hey, we'll work this whole thing out with Boaz. She didn't know a thing. But at this point, she's beginning to put all the pieces together. And she's saying, this is Boaz. He's close to us. Verse 22. Oh, on verse 21. And Ruth the Moabite said, besides... He said to me, you shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. In other words, you are allowed to do this for seven or eight weeks in a row. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. She knew what could happen. You see? 
So Ruth kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. And they're going back to the land. Neon lights flashing. It's food. It's survival. That's all we can care about. By the time you get to the end of chapter 2, the food issue is taken care of. For an entire year, they will have plenty of barley and wheat to sustain them. What's the point of this passage? I would argue that this text shows us, because at the end of the day, it's about God, isn't it? God providentially shows his kindness to people through godly characters. Isn't that what happens in the text? Look at Ruth. You've got to love this young lady. She gets up and in fear and trepidation, she's got it because she speaks later about the importance of being comforted. She's got it. And I don't blame her. She doesn't know them. She knows what can happen to a young lady out there, but she knows they need food. And in faithfulness to Naomi, she steps out and takes that risk and is faithful to God and God blesses. And it's because at the end of the day, she comes in contact with a man that is way over the top in his grace. He doesn't just say, let's see, Leviticus 25 says I got to do this and that. All right, I'll do that. That's all I'm doing for her. No way. He lavishes grace and mercy upon her. Here's what I've thought so often when I think about this text. Who is it that God wants to show his grace and kindness to, but he will only do it through you? Who is it? I suppose... If Boaz was living during the New Testament times, he would believe with all his heart that verse that Paul gives in Galatians 6, do good unto all men, but especially those of the household of faith. Don't you think that would be his theme verse? He, he sees his responsibilities, and he sees this woman, and he sees how she's reacting, and he knows what the law says, but he is going to do her good Beyond what she could even imagine. Last week, we heard a presentation about what you guys have done for the group in West Virginia, and 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 you're just your giving hearts, and, and it, that that kind of giving, you and I will never know the results of until we get to heaven. That's the truth. I, mean, I honestly believe we're going to get to heaven, and we're going to say like, "Are you kidding me?" I mean, I real you who wow. I really do believe that. When God's people are conduits through which he can show his grace and mercy, at the end of the day, he is seen, isn't he? People come to see there is a God who wants to cover you with his wing and he's using me to show you that. We need a bunch of Boazes at Christmas time. And the only reason Boaz's thing works, period, is because there's a God working behind the scenes. 
See, you step out and you just do what God calls you to do in faithfulness and love to Him and love to others. And God's working all the pieces of the puzzles together. He knows right where He wants everybody. He puts it all together and uses you in ways you can't ever imagine. You won't even know. That's God. That's what He does. And we lose the opportunity when we don't become His conduits of kindness. God help us to be Boaz's. Because God works behind the scenes to show His grace through faithful people. Let's pray.